Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Philippians chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to this passage that you would illumine our minds you would help us to understand what you would have for us from this passage and that we would, we would be those who uh, hear your word and do your word to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we come to the Advent season. We come to this time of year when we uh, give attention to thinking about the Incarnation and I'm happy to do so. And, and the Apostle Peter, I mean the Apostle, now I'm going to make the opposite mistake. I'm preaching Peter and I talk about Paul and I preach Paul and I talk about Peter. The Apostle Paul uh, <clears throat> comes at the incarnation in a certain way in this passage. And I mean we could go back through Scripture and there are many ways that we could approach the the incarnation, we could talk about the prophecies that were fulfilled in the incarnation of Christ, all the Old Testament prophecies that um, point toward and are fulfilled in Christ. We could talk about uh, Christ's incarnation being the fulfillment of, of our, and the fulfillment of Jesus uh, culminating his work in. Uh, in becoming the sacrifice for our sins and us being able to enter then into the, the holy presence of God because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. There's so many angles we could come from uh, when thinking of the incarnation, but here in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul comes at it as, look at what Jesus did, do the same thing. So he comes at it from the angle of look at the humility of Jesus Christ 
in considering others is more important than himself, and you should do the same thing. And so that's the thrust of what I'm going to be pointing out this evening. We, we, we have a tendency to size other people up, right? We're always sizing other people up. We're making judgments about... Um, we're making judgments about the wrappers they open up at the beginning of the sermons. <laughs> we make judgments about people's height. We make judgment about people's uh, strength and how fast they might be and uh, the intellectual accomplishments that they've, they've um, uh, worked through. And um, we, you know, we think about who might be the, the fastest runner or the most fun or most popular. Who knows God's word better than somebody else? We're just constantly in every situation sizing other people up. We do have to exercise our judgment. And so in some sense, sizing other people up is not a job that, you know, we do have to hire people, you know. We have to judge whether they have the qualities that we're looking for. We're always, we're always making judgments. Um, we could also judge this way. We could say, well, who here is the dumbest? Right? Who here is the slowest? Who here is, is mean? Right? Who, who here is the killjoy? Right? Debbie Downer. Who's the Debbie Downer among us? Wah, wah. Who's... Um, who has, who's the most self-centered? Who's the least attractive? Right? Those are judgments too. And um, one judgment is as good as another as far as um, we're concerned. And um, we're happy to, you know, we might even in public be happy to answer who's fastest, who's smartest. You know, we might want to put that praise on somebody or on ourselves. But those negative ones, we get a little bit um, more reticent about sharing those things that go through our minds, right? We're happy to answer the first questions, but the fact of the matter is we probably have more judgments and more impressions of people on the negative side of the balance than the positive. We're always sizing others up, especially when in our teenage years. Always sizing other people up. Um, we're starting to find out what we're good at. We're starting to find out what interests us. And um, we're starting to find out what we're bad at. And so we're starting to feel, when we're young, we start to feel the, the intensity of shame when it comes to what we just don't, you know, we don't measure up to other people about. Um, I still remember junior high when it was bench press day. I still remember that day like it was yesterday. The goal was to bench press our body weight, right? And at that point, I, I, I don't know, I would, may have been a little chubby. Um, but the goal was to bench press our body weight, and I couldn't come close. I could not come close. I was last in the class, in fact, as far as the percentage. Last in the class. And from there, you know, the judgment toward me was he's weak, right? Um, unfortunately, I was the best violinist at the same time as being the weakest bench presser. <laughs> and so I was doomed, you know? 
Um, but I remember that, and I remember the intensity of it, and I remember the fact that everybody was sizing me up even as I struggled under that 60 pounds for the bench press. I'm sure I could do a lot more than that now, um, but I haven't tried. Uh, we have standards. We are constantly making judgment about others so we can exalt ourselves, right? You know, I, I'm, we could go through and, and find out what you value most, and usually what you value most is what you're strongest at, right? You're going to value those things that you've, you've done well at, but, um, but how is greatness defined in the Word of God? Philippians 2 says that greatness is to be found in regarding others as better than yourself. That's true greatness. It's the ability to regard others as better than yourself. And nowhere are we taught that by our culture. Nowhere are we taught that by our, our innate nature. Right, Our sinful nature doesn't tell us to regard others as better than ourselves. But the Word of God does. And does so in a very striking way in Philippians chapter 2, right? <clears throat> so, if you're not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, then you will never be able to regard others as better than yourself. It's not something that will, um, will factor into the way you think about the world. You will want to win. You will want to be beautiful. You will have to be smart. You will have to be fastest, right? You will have to be popular because that will be what you value most and you will go after what you value most. But Christians are called to regard others as better than themselves. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus, and that's where Paul, that's the thrust of Philippians 2. Jesus regarded you as better than himself. Therefore, he was willing to lay down his life even dying on tree for you. Um, <clears throat> what, what is, so, at the beginning of this passage in Philippians 2, if you look at the first verse, we find out what sort of things the Christian should value most. Um, we can draw it out of these, uh, out of this verse. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Christians like encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation of love, that, that um, a consolation of love, we, we uh, think about the love of the Father and it consoles us. It gives us comfort. It gives us joy. It gives us rest. Right? And if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, we love the fellowship of the Spirit, sharing in the Spirit, the bond of love, the bond of affection between Christians. This is embedded in the church, right? This is why we're here tonight, is this fellowship that we have in the Spirit. If there is any affection and compassion, affection is, is tenderness toward others, it's tenderness toward God, it's tenderness, um, it's, it's feelings toward others. It would be, this affection answers the question, do you like others, other people? Do you like them? Do you like God? Right? And then compassion is, is expressing mercy toward others and to God. Do you, love, do you love others by expressing your mercy toward them? 
So the Christian finds all he needs in Christ's comfort in knowing God loves him, true joy in the company of others who have the Spirit, tenderness toward God and others that love, that, that animates what we do, love toward God and others. And if these qualities are yours, even, even in a tiny grain, just beginning, there's an inkling of these things that are growing uh, in each category, you show the fruit of faith, and it may be possible for you to regard it may be possible for you to regard others as more important than yourselves. But what if not? What if you don't find that those are the things that get you up in the morning? Encouragement in Christ, consolation of the Father's love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and tenderness, compassion toward others. Um, <clears throat> what do you need? What does give you comfort? What company do you enjoy if it's not God's people? What, what do you like? What do you love? Who do you like? Who do you love? Um, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, your answers will be much different. Obviously, the fellowship of the Spirit, the consolation of the Father's love mean nothing to you. And um, rather, what company you will keep will be the company of fools. Right? You will enjoy the company of fools. You will enjoy those who, who uh, do not speak of the Lord because that just makes you feel awkward. Um, you will enjoy those who have foolish ideas and who go after foolish ideas and who encourage you and you're going after their foolish ideas as well. And so, so there will be a radical difference between you know, what you value in Christ and how you live your life. If you value Christ, if you know Him, then you'll be able to die to self. If you know Jesus and what He's like, then you will, you will have the ability, you will have the possibility right, of dying to self. If not, you will have to exalt yourself. You will... You will um, have to earn everything. You will have to be the best at something to give your life value. You will have to outdo somebody else in order to have value. And you will uh, pursue what Scripture would call vanity. Right? Vanity. All things um, that exalt the self. And so you must know God. You must have a relationship with God. And then verse 2, um, <clears throat> Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul is saying be like-minded, be like-loving, be like-spirited, be, um, be one with the church, young, old, um, be one. Right? Be together, be one, be like-minded, like-loving, and like-spirited. And, and then verse 3, he's cutting to the chase, he's getting to the point that, um, uh, that is very uh, prevalent and astonishing in this passage. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness. 
When we do things from selfishness, our ambition is simply to exalt ourself. It's, again, there, there are a lot of things we do that spring from self-interest, right? Which is not selfishness. We go to work to make money so that we can feed ourselves. We have a lot of interest in staying alive. And so we pursue those things, and it's not selfishness, it's just self-interest. Right, But there's a whole host of other things where the goal is actually to exalt the self, an ambition to exalt self. And, and those would be the things that Paul is saying, don't do them. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Um, what, is, what is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is the, the, it's what motivates you um, it, what's, it's, it's a motivation for your actions, right? Selfish ambition. You are ambitious for self, and it's going to motivate what you do. Vain conceit, or empty conceit, as it's put here in our passage, is what you get when you succeed. A glory that is vain and empty. An empty conceit. Right, so the selfish ambition motivates you, and then what you get when you've followed your selfish ambitions is a vain conceit, is a selfish and an empty conceit. A glory, a glory, if we can even say this, it's, a, it's an oxymoron intentionally, a glory that is empty, right? Um, glory is the opposite of emptiness. Glory is heaviness. Glory is weightiness. Glory is solidity. And yet, when you pursue self, you end up with a, uh, an, a weightless glory, an empty glory. Um, pride, vain glory is pride in one's achievements and one's ability. It's, um, when we take pride in our own achievements, does that mean that we shouldn't have joy when we're successful? No, it doesn't mean that. We... What, what needs to follow our successes? Praise and thanks to the Father. I've, I only have what I've been given, right? Praise and thanks to the Father. And so v- empty conceit and vainglory lead to um, boasting in one achievements, but never giving credit to God who uh, worked those talents or worked all his, his providence into your situation. So, a div- we do not want to be, we, we want to rejoice in achievements at points, but be immediately and before and after and all throughout those achievements giving thanks to God and acknowledging uh, Him in those. And then he says, the Apostle Paul writes, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Humility of mind. Let's, um, in Romans, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there. Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul elsewhere says this, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
And so, Christ did not even please himself. Right? That humility of mind is something that's commended here to us. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regarding one another as more important than yourselves, even regarding one another as more superior than yourselves, as better than yourselves, is, is what we're commended to do. Um, I think this is what comes with maturity. As God disciplines us and as we're matured, this, this quality of mind, this humility of mind uh, comes. I think with marriage, we get a certain level of humility of mind. Right when we when we uh, run up against the difficulties of marriage and two sinners trying to live together in unity and harmony, and and then when we have children, it takes it up about ten notches, and God disciplines us, and disciplines us with sleepless nights, disciplines us with um, a a selflessness that we have to have as we care for the the hurts and pains and illnesses of our children. And, um, and then also a, uh, just ministering to children who are getting older and growing up and, and uh, struggling with their bodies and struggling with their place in the world and what they're supposed to be doing. And so God wonderfully... And then, and then as we get older, you know, we have no more pride in our bodies. Our bodies begin to break down right? We need surgeries, we need knee replacements and hip replacements, and our eyes begin to go. And all of this is God's blessing to us to bring us to a humility of mind and make us fit vessels to be in His presence eternally. Um, This life is about preparing ourselves to be in the presence of God. And so God gives us many lessons in this. There are also just personal failures, you know, things that we... uh, sins that we committed that have had lingering effects, the losses of jobs and income and difficulties that God puts us through, should, should always lead us to humility of mind. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it has the opposite effect. All of these difficulties become reasons that people begin to despise God and His commands. Right? And... And we read of the struggles of, in Scripture of people who look at the wicked prosper and envy them. Right? Look at the wicked and prosper, envy, envy their situation and think, man, it would be much nicer to prosper now and, um, and to not even acknowledge God if that's the way it's going to go. And that's not humility of mine. That's to throw... Um, that's to exalt the self even in the face of God. Some of, some of us will never grow up or never grow into maturity. Right? Your marriage will be about you and not about a humility of mind that leads you to love somebody else. And you will have a miserable spouse. Some of you will never grow up and your children will be about you. Right? 
you will live vicariously through your children. And if they're unsuccessful, you will shun them. And if they are successful in the eyes of the world, then you will love them deeply. And you will use your children against your spouse. Right? For some of you, you won't grow up and your education or your uh, furthering of your knowledge will be about you. And those who don't mature, those who who never get past themselves, who never start thinking about others and regarding others as more important than themselves, will just, everything will be about you. It will just simply be about where you are and where you want to get and where you're not and your disappointment in not being there. And that... That is not the mind of Christ. That is not the mind of Christ as we see in this. Um, We have this purpose. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, right? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. We have some personal interests. There is self-interest. But also for the interests of others, right? We have to look out for the interests of others, how do we do this? Well, it's, it's not very difficult. right? You have hundreds of opportunities every day to look out for the interests of others. Correct? Do you not? A kind word is looking out for the interests of others. right? An encouragement to somebody else. Taking the, um, taking the, the dish rag out of your mother's hand and uh, putting it into your own and doing the dishes is is um, looking out after the interests of others, right? We have ample opportunity to do this. And, but here's, you know, and, and I would say at this point in verse 4, this is merely an aside, I would say if you don't yet have a vocation, if you are looking for what you're going to do with your life, how you're going to glorify God through your vocation, don't you dare choose something where the end is to exalt yourself. Right? There is no reason to go into classical art music. Okay? Um, I've been there, I've done that, and it simply is to serve your own vanity. Okay? But there are many, many vocations where you will serve others. And we could go on listing. Um, You could go into the military and, as a man, protect your nation. That's a good and godly thing to do. Um, you can serve people's bodies by being a doctor. There, I mean, I'm not just saying everybody needs to go into full-time ministry. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying you choose a vocation where you're serving others, where you're expressing God's mercy to them through what you're doing. And that, that is many, many things. Okay? Uh, so... <clears throat> We get down to verse 5, and the Apostle Paul has just been saying these things. Be this, do this, be this, do this. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the point-blank statement. And then, as if we uh, wouldn't simply be convinced by the words of the Apostle Paul, we have him bringing forth the example of Jesus. If Jesus considered or regarded his father as more important than himself, what does that mean for us? 
Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Right? And so here we see the ultimate example of somebody who could claim uh, divinity saying no to self and regarding your problem as more important to him and him rescuing you from the death of sin and he did not regard equality he didn't grasp seize he didn't try to snatch and hold on to that equality with god that he actually had and has right um, <clears throat> the humility of Christ is perfect humility. There's no pride, there's no vainglory, there's no selfish ambition. There is nothing along those lines. It is a perfect humility. And yet, what could Jesus list on his resume? Right? He existed in the form of God. I mean, do we need to even go beyond that? I mean, that's the top of his resume, God. But just listen to the names of of Christ. True bread from heaven. He's the light of the world. He's the prince of peace. He's the son of the living God. He's the mighty God. He's God with us. He's the creator of all things. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the word of life. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all of these things, I mean, we could go through Scripture and there's Thousands of names for Christ and thousands of phrases describing Him. And they're all about His, his unequaled glory. Right? But what did He do? He did not grasp equality with His Father as something to be asserted and held on to. Something grasped for His own personal advantage. He was equal with God being God, but he did not consider God-likeness to consist in grasping or snatching or stealing from his Father. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The the rich one becomes poor. He emptied himself. He became a slave. He took on human flesh. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He died on a cross. And yet we grasp for our own little glory. We grasp for our own little, little part of the world that we're in. If we're in a group of people, we grasp to say the most intelligent things. We grasp to be the most humorous. We grasp to, be, uh, to impress others with what we have done. We grasp and grasp and grasp and seize and snatch away and hold to ourselves our own glory and exalt ourselves Yet that is not true of Christ in any way. 
For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Not only did he not grasp equality with God, a thing he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took on himself all the reproaches for all the terrible things that you've ever done. Every one of the sins committed became his sin. And so he just he he became filth. He became sin. He became the curse. Right? This is an this is an astonishing level of humility, right? Psalm 22. Psalm 22 says, I'm not a man, I'm a worm. That's Christ speaking. I'm a worm. And He's God. Almighty, eternal God. And so He did not grasp His own glory And He did all of that for you. What if He had not? What if He had not? We'd all just be undone. We'd all be condemned to hell. We'd all be selfishly ambitious. We would all be going after our own glory. The whole world would be a competition between everybody and everybody else. And there would be no true spiritual good done that uh, exalted others other than the self. There would be no selflessness when we serve, for us to serve others. But think of this. What's the result of Jesus' humiliation? What is the result of Him doing this work? This, this not regarding equality, this emptying Himself, taking on the form of a slave, being like man, found in appearance as a man, Obedient to the point of death on a cross. And then we get to verse 9. And we find out that once again there's great glory in humiliation. Right? There's great glory for this reason also. For this reason. Because Jesus did all of this selfless work on behalf of others who didn't deserve it. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the, that is the glory of humiliation, right? And that's not just a promise, that's not just something that was held out to Christ for, um, by the Father toward His Son. This is true of all humiliation. This is true of all humility, right? What, is, what does it say in James chapter 4? It says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you, right? So the way to be exalted, the way to truly be honored and exalted and lifted up is to empty yourself of all selfish ambition. To empty yourself of all that selfishness and, and uh, to, to forget about all of that coveting and all of that jealous, those jealous looks that you have towards somebody else's station in life and somebody else's position and somebody else's money and, and wealth and, and uh, intelligence. It's to forget about that and simply be a servant of others. It's to 
to cosmically always be doing the dishes. Right? Just be the, the doer of dishes in your life. And you will find that God exalts you, that you will, you will find that the, hev- the, the treasure you have in heaven will make everybody else in heaven jealous if that were possible, which it won't be. Right? You will have a stature. You will have everything you've ever desired. You will have um, an a eternal heavenly Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. And so the path to exaltation, the path to greatness, the path of, of following in Christ's footsteps is to regard others as more important than yourselves. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, think about this. How can I regard others as more important than myself? Am I going to get up and immediately complain that I haven't had enough coffee? Because that's to exalt yourself, right? Or are you going to make a cup of coffee for somebody else before you make your own? Very simple things, right? Be thinking of others. Put other people on your mind. Regard them as more important than yourselves. And you'll just be doing what Jesus did for you to save your soul. That's all you'll be doing, is doing what Jesus did. Regarding others as more important than yourselves. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his glorious condescension. His astonishing humility the depth of his love for us, the, the idea that, Father, the knowledge that we know from your scripture that, that he regarded us, even eternally, crucified before the foundation of the world. And Father, we, we are astonished, and we are thankful, and we are grateful. Father, we lament the fact that we so very seldom exhibit this this fruit of faith. We so very seldom imitate Christ in this way. We are locked up in ourselves. We are focused on what we want and our own pleasures. We are focused on, on serving us first and then others second. Father, I pray that our minds would, would contemplate Jesus and what he left the very fact that he faced, he faced your wrath, the very fact that he faced your a, a severing of some type, a forsaking on the cross for us. Father, I pray that the thought of that would fill us with an intense love for others and, and an ability by your Spirit to serve them genuinely for their good. And so, Father, forgive us for our self-centeredness. Forgive us for continually making judgments about others that are meant to bring them down and exalt ourselves. I pray that we would be humble as Jesus was humble and that we would regard others as more important than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.